But on the other hand, he wasn't my perfect helper. He didn't exactly understand what I was going through, and he couldn't always relate to the situations I was experiencing. And on the other hand, have you ever, have you ever been talking with someone about something you're struggling with? Let's say anxiety or depression or a temptation or a trial. And they themselves have not really ever struggled with that specific thing. It's not the same thing, right? It's not the same because they can't fully relate to what you're going through. And as much as your friends and family can be there for you during hard times, they really can never fully empathize with you. And as Christians, we're called to bear each other's burdens, to build one another up, but we'll never actually be able to do this perfectly, fully or perfectly. So today we're going to be talking about someone that has and will always be there for us perfectly in every way, absolutely. And his name is Jesus, the greatest and perfect helper, our great high priest, as we looked at this morning in Hebrews. So in my talk this morning, I'll explain what it means for Jesus to be our high priest, how that fleshes out for us, and how that reality of Jesus being our high priest creates space for us to examine where our hearts are with him. And my goal, is to, my goal is to give you a hook to hang your hat on. Pastor Anthony has used this analogy before, and I thought it would really work with, for what I wanted to communicate today. That this gospel truth, that Jesus is our greatest and perfect helper, is ultimately the only hook to lay our hats on. So before we dive into my first point, it's important that I give you some background. Set the, t- set the scene, if you will, for the passage that we'll look at in Hebrews this morning. So the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Hebrews. And though there is some debate about the human author of this book, the book was ultimately written by the Holy Spirit, written by the Holy Spirit. This letter was written to warn and to encourage. After hearing about Jesus, the Hebrews began changing their way of life to align it with Jesus. And due to this change, they were being persecuted and the writer was urging them not to fall away, but rather truly see the goodness they have in Jesus and press hard into pursuing him. The group of Hebrews that this book was written to really knew the Old Testament very well. Because of, and because of this, the writer gets right to the point. So he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he turns the gospel prism, another analogy Anthony has mentioned, so the readers would know exactly what he's talking about. For example, Moses and the Old Testament priesthood were only types of what is now found in Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than the Old Testament priesthood. And these arguments, drawn from the Old Testament, would have really hit home with them. The writer didn't beat around the bush, but he went right to the main issue. He defended Jesus' greatness over everything that they knew so well. And in our passage today, the writer ends a long exhortation and moves into an invitation in verse 15. Starting back in chapter 3, he had been urging the Hebrews to not be like their ancestors who failed to enter God's rest due to their lack of faith, but hold fast their confession in Jesus. Today, examine your heart to see where you're at with Jesus because nothing is hidden from him. And in light of that, go to him for help. Draw near to his throne with confidence where you can receive mercy and grace, always knowing that he can truly understand what you're going through. And this leads me to the first, first point that I'd like to share with you this morning. 
If you truly want to find rest in life, you must know that Jesus alone is your perfect helper. And now that we've set the scene for the context of our verses, uh, let's just unpack for a moment what it means for Jesus to be our high priest. And this will help us give an understanding to, to today's passage and the application that it has for our lives. In the Old Testament, each year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to symbolically atone for the sins of the people. We read in Leviticus, Leviticus 16 that before doing so, he himself had to make an offering for his sin. Once he entered the Holy of Holies, he could only be there long enough to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and get out. And the priest was the mediator between God and his people. And he would do this year after year. Not to mention there were other sacrifices made daily for sin. But only the high priest once a year entered the Holy of Holies. And as John MacArthur, a well-known pastor and theologian, says, the process was never ended, never completed, because the priesthood was not perfect and the sacrifices were not perfect. So where does Jesus fit into all of this? He completed the process. He is our great high priest. He is our mediator and perfect sacrifice. And since he is without sin, his once and for all sacrifice on the cross for our sin covered those that would believe in him, forever connecting God and his people. And not only did Jesus enter the most holy place once and for all by the means of his own blood, we see in our passage today that he's able to empathize with our weaknesses. See, high priests in the Old Testament were able to deal greatly with their people because they too were subjected to weakness and sin. Yet Jesus, who humbled himself by coming to earth, was subjected to everything we go through and did not sin, making him the perfect sacrifice for our sin, the great high priest and our perfect helper. Therefore, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, we can rest in the truth that he understands everything that we go through. So let me ask you a question. You don't have to necessarily answer out loud, but just think of it in, in, in your mind. When you think of a helper or something that helps you, what's the first thing that, that does come to your mind? It all depends on what you need help with, but for me, generally speaking, it's, it's my wife. I could not do my life without her. But for others, it might be something different. But now let's narrow the parameters to help parameters. What do you think of or look to when you need help in life's trials, temptations, or struggles? And I can tell you exactly what our culture wants you to think. Get another book. Go to another conference. You're only going through this specific trial or struggle because you're not, you're not thinking positive. Right? Now, I'm not completely saying that everything out there in the self-help realm is bad. But I, I want to get at the heart behind it or, or lack thereof. What happens when everything comes crashing down in your life? Let's say, for example, you've been doing everything you can to find happiness and success at your job. Now, that by itself is not a bad thing. But you've been thinking, once I get that right, everything else in my life will get better from there. So you read all the books, you go, go to all the conferences, start thinking really positive, and everything seems to be working great. Your happiness is beaming, and the people around you in your life, they see that. Then one day, you walk into work, and they tell you that the company is going out of business. You no longer have a job. What happens then? The rug is just pulled completely out from under your, underneath your feet, and you're devastated. 
The self-help materials that, that you once clung to can no longer help you and you're left wondering what in the world to do. In essence, the self-helps failed to do what they promised. What was supposed to be a permanent fix was only temporary or kind of surface level, on the surface. And see, as Christians, we're not promised that everything will always be a bed of roses. In fact, we absolutely know that trials, struggles, temptation, suffering, and persecution will come. On the other hand, our culture often tells us the opposite. If you just do this one thing, this one thing, if you get that right, it will solve all the other problems in your life. But throughout Scripture, we're told that we shouldn't be surprised when trials hit. The Apostle Peter tells us, now now I'm paraphrasing here, uh, when trials come your way, don't act like something strange were happening to you. Don't act like something strange was, was happening. In short, trials are expected. Though to varying degrees... Everyone goes through different trials and life struggles. It is without a doubt that they will most definitely happen. Now, as uncomforting as as that may sound, let me explain where the joy and comfort comes in in the midst of this. You're absolutely right. Trials are not comfortable. And as I mentioned earlier, our culture does everything to escape them. But as believers in Jesus, we know that they make us who we are in him. Though the tough, through the tough times in life, we grow more like Jesus. Through the tough times in life, we grow closer to Jesus. Through the tough times in life, we actually rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. While I was preparing this message, I read an article on the subject by the associate editor of Christianity Today. His name is Kevin P. Emmert. And I thought that this quote he had really described what we were talking about well today. So I I wanted to put it up. It'll be behind me, and I wanted to mention it. Suffering is not something we want to avoid. Rather, we want to pass through it. For it is a key means of experiencing deeper union with Christ. The twists and turns of life aren't obstacles to God's plan for our lives, but necessary steps to get there. In other words, if God did not spare his only son of suffering, but subjected him to temptation, ridicule, denial, and the worst death ever on a cross for the sins of his people, will we not also suffer from varying degrees to another? From that, does our suffering not draw us closer to Jesus? feet for help and guidance? Does our suffering not produce a stronger faith and relationship with our great high priest who's able to empathize with us? This is why our passage today has so much weight. Because we do not have a great high priest who is unable to empathize with us. Jesus walked through the gamut of what we experience and took it all on his shoulders. Yet through it all, he did not sin. The degree in which we experience these things is far beyond the degree in which, excuse me, he experienced these things is far beyond even our comprehension. Since we give in to sin, not always, but we do, and he did not. We give in to the idols or things we believe might help us and turn away from the greatest and perfect helper, the only true one that can help us. But God's promises, they still stand. We have a God who in all of our trials, temptations, suffering, struggles, and life circumstances has the ability to use them for the good of those who love him. 
because Jesus is our great high priest who can empathize with us. He shares with us in what we are experiencing now. Wanted to give you an illustration here. So, for example, just imagine for a moment you're about to go skydiving. In the same article I, I mentioned earlier, I referenced from Christianity Today, the writer used a skydiving analogy to describe how Jesus is always with us. And I thought it really applied to our text today, so I, I did want to share it. Now, I've never personally been skydiving, and I don't know if I ever would, but this was his experience, and, and so here it goes. So what do you do when, when you're about to go skydiving? The first thing you do, he was saying, is that you sign all these papers and that say, okay, so this might happen, and you could die. This might happen, and you could die, and so on. Really comforting, correct? Right? Really comforting. Yeah. Not so much. Not so much. So then, once you're up in the air about to jump, if it's your first time, an instructor is strapped to your back as you fall rapidly to the ground. At every wind gust, at every turn, at every moment, the instructor is with you, directing you when to pull your parachute, directing you when to move your arms, when to move your legs so you're not spinning completely out of control. But how does he know all this? He's been through it all himself before. He's fallen from an airplane and experienced it all already. And so that is, but so much greater, so much greater how Jesus is our perfect helper. He's been through it all. He knows the ropes. He's already seen the movie and knows what's happening at the end. In fact, he's not just seen the movie, but he wrote and made the movie. And so we sign our life away to Jesus when we put our faith in Jesus. But he doesn't just leave us to jump out of the airplane alone. He's strapped to our back, not literally, as we fall from the airplane to the ground. As we walk through this life, he is with us. He understands everything that we're going through. But how do these trials that we face in our life bring us closer to God? When things are really bad, how do we tap into that relationship as Jesus did with his father while he was on earth? And that leads me to the second point I'd like to share with you this morning. In order to truly find rest in life, you must draw near to our perfect helper, Jesus. When I was about 14 years old, 14 years old, I went to the summer camp that had an Olympic-sized pool and also some Olympic-sized diving boards. And you know the ones that are, are three different heights. There's the, the lower, lowest one, the middle one, and the highest one. And the highest one is kind of that cement slab that's just about 33 feet in the air. Anyways, during the free time, they would allow us to, to play in the pool and with caution jump off the diving boards. And at this point in my life, I had never jumped off anything like this before, not to mention the highest one. Some of my friends had, so they ran up the stairs without almost any hesitation, threw themselves off, threw themselves off the 33-feet cement slab into the water below. And I knew I had to try it, but when it was my turn, I wasn't nearly as confident as my friends. Drawing close to the edge of the board, I was hesitant and feared the unknown. What would it be like to do this? Would it hurt when I hit the water? That's a long way down. Would my stomach go into my throat? What would happen? But eventually I did. I did jump off, and I actually enjoyed it. It was pretty, pretty fun. 
Now, I know I've shared two jumping stories with you this morning, one from an airplane, one from a diving board, but this one does have a different point. Because in our text today, the writer of Hebrews is saying to the people, I know it's been rough since you heard about Jesus. I know it's been hard to leave what you knew, that is the rituals, traditions, and and regulations of the Old Testament. But don't lose heart. Don't turn away. Don't get to the edge of the diving board and not jump in. Why? Because Jesus is greater than all of that. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the greatest high priest who made the perfect priestly sacrifice. So, hold fast your confession of faith. Dive deep into the waters of Jesus' grace and love. Because when you do hold fast, you can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. And this exhortation to commit to your relationship with Jesus, come all the way to God's throne and keep diving into your walk with him, is, um, and we do this is because we're always in need of God's mercy and grace. And so no matter where you are with Jesus today, the gospel truth that Jesus is our greatest and perfect helper has great implications for your life. And I'd like to share two specifically with you this morning. Number one being, throughout your life, and especially when times are tough, you must be committed to relying on Jesus and not yourself. And has there ever been a time where you really tried in a situation to be Superman or Superwoman? A trial or struggle, temptation hit, and you ripped off your Clark Kent cover-up, and you displayed that S, proclaiming, me to the rescue, Superman, Superwoman. Only to find your Superman or Superwoman strength wasn't enough to fight the battles of life. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't take any action on our part, on our part, but I am saying that these battles draw us to the one who can help. We cannot only rely on ourselves or some self-help scheme. This action of drawing near to God in faith is a commitment. We must confidently commit to relying on Jesus. So in other words, when times are rough, we must commit to coming before God's throne in prayer, like our Savior did when he was on earth. When times are tough, we must commit to knowing God through his word, what he's revealed to us. When times are tough, we must commit to come before God's throne to receive mercy. And because of God's abounding love for his people, through Jesus' love and ultimate sacrifice, we receive a grace that knows absolutely no boundaries. We receive a grace that continually washes onto the shores of life and the shores of our hearts, even in the roughest of life storms. And so my prayer is this morning that the Holy Spirit would give you the eyes to look at your heart, that he may reveal to you where you try to go it alone, where you try to do it by yourself, be Superman or Superwoman in the situations of life, where you avoid the continual, precious access you have to God's throne of grace through Jesus, our great high priest. And a second implication I'd like to share with you this morning from our text is is this. Hearing about the good news of Jesus, being your perfect helper, should lead you to examine your commitment to him. When I grew up in Michigan, my family would, would always take trips up to Traverse City to 
to see my grandparents and my, some other family that lived there. My aunt and uncle also lived there too. And they had a small boat that, that during the summer we would take out for the day on to Lake Michigan. And as the sun would come down, we'd kind of bring the boat back uh, to the harbor where they had a boat, boat uh, a boat dock, where they would park their boat. And so it was always sort of funny to me as, as, I, tried, as, as I saw my uncle trying to park his boat. My sister and I would, would kind of hop out and, and watch this all take place. And so my dad, my uncle, and my grandpa would manage to guide the boat to its resting place for the night. And it was always kind of funny to me seeing them, one in the dock, one in the boat, one kind of like moving it and trying to get it into the dock to be parked. And, and I, it's like, how many, dad does it, how many dads does it take to secure a boat to the dock? Apparently three in this specific situation. But this example is similar to what the writer of Hebrews was getting at in chapter 2. When he said, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. In other words, he's saying, since you have heard the gospel of Jesus and understood it, please be careful not to drift away from the secure anchoring of the dock. Don't pass by the only dock of salvation once you've heard about Jesus, but securely fasten yourself to the truth of who Jesus is. Don't just stay where you are in your understanding about what Jesus did, but completely Put your faith in him. Go all in, lest you drift away from the harbor due to the waves of life. And these warnings really allow us to examine our relationship with Christ. It's not something to take lightly. There's not a special ticket that you get when you understand what Jesus did that exempts you from having to secure your boat to the truth of Jesus. But that understanding is a call to action, a call to respond It's a call to dive deep and examine the motives of your heart. To examine where you are with him. See, the Hebrews were looking at abandoning what they had heard about Jesus because of the persecution they were facing. So I would urge you today, as as the author, author of Hebrews did, don't let circumstances dictate your response to faith. Don't go back to where you were before you heard about Jesus because you thought the Christian life was going to fix all your problems, or because life has been really rough since you heard about Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, following Jesus is is not an easy road, but the unrivaled joy, mercy, grace, and love of Christ does not compare to the shifting circumstances of life. So if you hear God's voice today, do not harden your hearts Rather, with confidence, draw near God's throne to receive mercy and grace. Come all the way to his throne. Don't stop right at the edge of the diving board. Dive all the way in deep to the waters of Jesus' grace and love. Now, I want to be clear here, just mention something really clear, that what I'm not saying is that you can never have questions about your faith or that you can never count the cost of going all in for Jesus. But over time, you have to make a decision. You have to take that next step. You have to go from needing milk, that which can nourish a child, to needing solid food, that which will nourish an adult. Simply put, once you have heard the good news of Jesus, fully commit to growing in him in every area of your life. 
And as we close this morning, I wanted to go back to, to the beginning of my message and the analogy I talked about, Anthony, that he's, he's used before about the, the hook to hang your hat on. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, a wall with only one hook. You come home from work or whatever you might have been doing that you were wearing this very special hat. Where will you put that hat? You'd be wise to hang it on the only hook that's made for it, right? Sure, you can place it elsewhere, on a table, on a chair, on a couch, or someplace else that that you can think of, but it won't be on its hook. Not to mention, the next time you go to find it, you might not be able to if you didn't place it on the only hook that it was made for. Now, the truth we're talking about today is simple to grasp, but not always easy to apply it. So I'd like to read our text from today's message one more time as a whole. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, that is just absolutely incredible to me. That Jesus is our greatest and perfect helper. He is the only hook that we can, we can and must ever hang our hat on. When we're in need of mercy, we can hang our hat on the hook of Jesus. When we're in need of grace, we can hang our hat on the hook of Jesus. Because Jesus is our great high priest who understands what we go through. Who is the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. We can come before God's throne with confidence. Holding fast our profession. As we move into response this morning, I hope... I really do hope that my talk has allowed you to, to rest in Jesus and what he's done for you and motivate you to take, an act, take action where you need to in, in your faith with him. So, as, so since we are fully exposed before God and that one heart motive, desire, want, need, or anything in all creation is hidden from his sight, what action is the Lord calling you to today? Have you been trying to go it alone when things get rough instead of drawing near to Jesus for help? Have you heard the good news of Jesus and not fully committed your heart to him for help? Please ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you this morning? And then what are you going to do about it? Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we just come before you now, Father. You are so, so good, so good, Lord, and we just praise you for that. We sing to you. We praise you for what you've revealed to us, your word, and allowing us to, to grow in you, Father, through, through hearing from you. Lord, and we just pray this morning that wherever we are with you, Lord, wherever we are, whatever, whatever's going on in our lives, that you would just put your hand of, of grace and love on us. Lord, that you would comfort us and you would be there for us because we know you are. 
You're there with us through it all. And Father, we just pray that you would allow us to examine our hearts so that that we can, Lord, turn from anything that may be hindering our walk with you, hindering our our confession, our our striving to to be uh, in more uh, of a close relationship with you, Father. And we just thank you for this time that we can that come this morning. I thank you for this time that I can just share with everyone here, Lord, your people here at Restoration, the, the message that you have put on my heart. Father, as we move into response, I just, just do pray that uh, everyone would open their hearts to you and, and um, that we can just be before you, Father, uh, looking to you, our greatest and perfect helper. How amazing, how amazing that is. And we just thank you. We love you. We praise you. And we uh, say all these things and pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.